Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the first time in the 2011 season. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And we're here to run down to the... Uh, the first week of the 2011 Division Three football season. For those of you who are new to the Around the Nation podcast, uh, I'm Pat Coleman. I'm the executive editor of D3Football.com. And uh, Keith McMillan is our uh, deputy managing editor, our lead columnist. You'll see his first Around the Nation column of the season coming up a little bit later this week. And what we do every week is we go over the week that was. Uh, we uh, take a walk through uh, the big games in the uh, upcoming week talk about the trends, and basically give you the uh, the first real analysis of what happened in the past week in Division Three football. And, and a week, Keith, where uh, where we opened, and it's great to have football back after uh, 36 weeks off, and uh, a couple of uh, big top 25 results, including this one. And we start first with a highlight. This is Mitch McClellan on the call for KCAA AM 1050. They snap it to Hurst. Hurst on a draw up the middle. Hit. Four tries to fall forward, touchdown! With 28 seconds left, Hurst on a keeper takes it in from five yards out, and the Bulldogs take the lead. Keith, North Central, in the middle of the season, or in the middle of the offseason, that is, uh, was, I guess, basically all locked up and ready to go to Co for a, for a non-conference game. Instead, uh, they back out. They decide to go to Redlands, and uh, they may be regretting that decision uh, now after taking the loss in Week One. Well, especially when you compare it with the result that Co had uh, down in Texas on on Saturday, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we move on here. But I, I think you know more than than North Central going out to California and losing and looking at this game from that perspective. I think this is a, a you know a big notch in the belt, I guess you'd say, for, uh, for the Skyac. That's a, the second season in a row now they've beaten a, a highly touted team in, in the first weekend. Remember last week in week one, Cal Lutheran had that 47-42 win uh, up at, uh, against, or it wasn't up at Linfield, but they, they beat Linfield. And uh, I know Linfield avenged, avenged that loss in the playoffs. But it, it says now, you know, I don't think any team, Pat, since we've done the uh, the conference rankings. I don't think any team has made quite the the move up the rankings that the Skyac has. You know that was a, a conference that we sometimes had in the twenties back when we started doing it, and now you know their best teams are legitimately competing with with top teams in the country. Right, and it's and it's hidden a little bit. It's really hard to see because uh, the the way the NCAA tournament uh, is bracketed, uh, the 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 West region teams, the the West Coast teams always end up playing each other. So the the Skyac champion invariably ends up playing the uh, Northwest Conference champ. And even though the Skyac has, has certainly grown and gotten better in Division Three football over the past uh, decade or so, uh, the, the Northwest Conference champ is almost always a, a, a good a, a good head better than that. Yeah, you know, another way it's hidden is that, you know, a game like we had uh, on Saturday night, we kicked off at 7 o'clock local time. That's 10 o'clock for, for the East Coast, and that's quite a few teams. You know, a good portion of Division Three is based in this Eastern time zone. So... All, all of us who who had kicked off at one o'clock or you know twelve thirty or one thirty two o'clock games, and then all, all of a sudden our games are over. You look around the nation, you know, you get on the website, you see the scoreboard, and then by the time it gets to be ten o'clock, you know, you've kind of digested the whole Saturday, and it was an amazing Saturday. I mean, if 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 you follow on Twitter and you have the updates on your phone, they were coming fast and furiously, and there was you know last second field goals and overtime games and all this stuff. But by ten o'clock, you know, sometimes you, you the, the day is sort of over. To an extent, and uh, at that point, you know, uh, Redlands and North Central were just getting started. If you're based out here on the east, 
Right, and I was, uh, you know, some weeks, uh, and I, I think uh, it would be the same for you, some weeks I'm here at the computer at that time, wrapping up the night, uh, listening to West Coast games or watching them if there are late West Coast games. And I've certainly listened to Mitch McClellan call a lot of games over the course of the last decade or so. Um, but, you know, in this case, I'm driving back from La Crosse, Wisconsin, and when I'm leaving, you know, North Central is up 13 to nothing, and the game is going pretty much uh, as I thought it would. And then, uh, you know, Redlands comes back. They, uh, um, you know, they have... They score on a nine-play drive, two ten-play drives, and then their final score of the game, uh, that uh, touchdown that we heard just a few minutes ago, an eleven-play drive at seventy-eight yards to finish it off. And and the big question for us, from afar at least, for Redlands was who's going to replace Dan Selway. You know, as long as as we've followed Redlands, it seems you know it seemed like he was there really forever, right? He was the sixth year, uh, or he had had, had six-year span, right? Right. When he played and. Um, so yeah, this is this was Chad Hurst making his first start. He's junior quarterback for Redlands and uh, seemed to have got better over the course of the game. Maybe got a little more comfortable in there. And then you know what a way to cap your first start with a five-yard touchdown run, 28 seconds left, and uh, to set off that celebration. Uh, Redlands beating fourth-ranked North Central. So for North Central, they uh, pick up, of course, a non-conference loss, but it's an in-region loss as well uh, because everybody basically west of the uh, the dividing line between the eastern and central time zones is all in one big region for NCAA purposes. Uh, so this uh, you know, this basically rules them out of uh, any possibility of taking a top seed, say, away from Wisconsin-Whitewater as they did last year. Uh, and it, uh, you know, it puts them behind the eight ball. Now they have to win the CCIW in order to get back to the NCAA playoffs in a year uh, coming off a season in which they went toe-to-toe with the eventual national champion and could really consider themselves national championship contenders. Yeah, remember, you know, I'm sure there were some ballots that came in at the end of last season that had North Central uh, in number three, yes. maybe number two. Yes. Uh, in that case, they were, they, were, they were right up there, again, like you said, with, with Whitewater. And it's uh, for them, they have to sort of go back, not to the, the, to the beginning of things, but yeah, you got to turn right around now. You, you lost the game, you, you fly back home, and you got to get ready to, to get back on the horse here because the season could unravel quickly uh, in Division Three. You know, even though it's, it's not a situation where you have to be undefeated to, uh, to do well, because as long as we have playoffs and as long as you can get in, you have a chance to win the championship. But, it, you know, two losses last year, you know, one, we, we had, remember we had two nine and one teams and an eight and one team that couldn't get in last year. So it, uh, it, it's awful difficult to, to lose that first game and then, and then to think you have any room uh, for error the rest of the season. Uh, North Central and maybe the rest of the CCIW might have gotten a break over the course of the last week. Uh, we found out that uh, Wheaton quarterback Jordan Roberts had torn his ACL and expected to be out for the season. Uh, the, they don't put, they'll face off uh, North Central and Wheaton will uh, in uh, week 11, or week 10, excuse me, uh, on uh, November 5th. So there's a long way to go before we talk about Little Brass Bell and uh, the conference may well come down to that game. Next game for North Central is at home against Bethel of Tennessee, a team that uh, beat Wisconsin-Eau Claire uh, in week one. Uh, one of the other big games, of course, this is a, a, a huge meeting between top 25 teams, and we uh, referenced it a moment ago, but uh, Coe takes, uh, takes the bus trip. They bust down to Abilene, Texas, and got it pretty much handed to them by Harden-Simmons. Yeah, that's, first of all, that's, an, that's a remarkable distance to, to, to drive, uh, 
going from Iowa down to Texas and uh, Abilene's not, not right there at the top either. You know, you talked about the way that that North North Central game was going pretty much North Central's way. And then Redlands put it together in the second half. You can almost take that same snapshot at the very beginning of the game down in uh, down in Abilene. Coe starts off with a 13 play, 75 yard drive, gets up 7-0, probably feeling pretty good about themselves. And then Harden Simmons just poured it on from there, scored the next 34 points. Yeah, pretty much through the end of the third quarter, controlled the game and showed us, I think, who are watching from afar that there there is a pretty big distance between, you know, the number two team maybe in the American Southwest and uh, and the number two team in a pretty good conference in uh, in Iowa. And, you know, for Harden Simmons, this is, of course, uh, the first game without Jimmy Keeling as coach in decades you know jimmy keeling uh revived the program when uh when they when the when harden simmons came back to football uh some years ago and, and uh for for jesse burleson the the first year head coach you know for a, a kid who's a starting quarterback uh coming out of the shadow of a, a pretty strong quarterback behind him taylor bird uh, goes 23 of 31 throws three touchdowns no interceptions and then defensively you know harden simmons has certainly had it's years where it struggled on the on the defensive side of the ball, but uh, you know, they uh, held Brad Boyle, who was our, our preseason All-American quarterback, to 11 of 30 passing and picked him off three times. You know, there was an entire year where Brad Boyle threw just one interception, and he goes down and, and throws three interceptions in the first game this time around. Yeah, Pat, and you pointed out the two stats that really jumped off the page for me too: the 11 of 30. You know, and you see great quarterbacks in Division Three. You know, going 20 of 28. Games like that where they're really efficient and especially with the way offenses are spread out now and, and the short passing game is utilized, you know, 11 for 30 is really not a good day. And I'm sure Brad Boyle is uh, is eager to get out there again uh, next Saturday and, and, and clean that one up because, uh, you know, three interceptions is, is rough. 11 for 30 is rough. And, and when you when you getting so many incompletions, especially when your defense has given up a few touchdowns, you know, you want to put some drives together. And, you know, from the looks of things and from the sound of things on Saturday, it looked like that was a game or it sounded like a game that uh, that got away from Coe really quickly. And it was a shame for them from their point of view because it got off of that good start on the first drive. Although I think we still have to, of course, remember to commend Coe for stepping up and scheduling this game you know last year at this time they were playing two uh, games against NAIA teams as their non-conference games uh, so this year they certainly give a, a nice big boost to their strength of schedule although they take an opening loss and they play at Olivet Nazarene uh, an NAIA opponent next week. Uh, Coe's conference uh, rival Wartburg uh, beat Monmouth for the uh, the second year in a row uh, five times out of five that uh, that Wartburg has beaten them when they, when they've met and uh, you know, uh, Alex Tanney came back and uh, was was back at quarterback, but uh, Warburg still had the answer. Yeah, and you know, it, Tanney's numbers were pretty good, but we we really maybe I'm guilty of this, spending a lot of time focusing on on Tanny and and you know Monmouth having their offensive line back. And remember, Warburg was a team that was ten and zero last season uh, until it lost in the first round of the playoffs, and probably had a lot of the same, I guess emotion that that I was sort of, um, you know, when I talked about it in triple take where Tanny, you know, was injured for pretty much all but one game last season, the very start of, of the second game, he got hurt. And, and then you, you, it, it burns you up inside a little bit when you can't play and you can't achieve the goals that you want to achieve. And, uh, you know, maybe for Warburg, a little bit of that same thing where, you know, that they were probably a 10 and 0 team feeling pretty good about themselves. Well, they were a 10 and 0 team. They were probably feeling pretty good about themselves going into the playoffs and then to have that season sort of abruptly end at the beginning of the playoffs gave them a lot of fuel 
this offseason. I know when you schedule a game like like this at the beginning of the season where it, it it's going to be, you know, it's going to be uh, a test. You know, Cohen, Harden, Simmons had the same deal, and and uh, North Central and Redlands, same thing. You you start you start from the very beginning of that offseason. You know, you you got to do everything you need to do to get well uh, to to be as good as you can because um you're going to be tested right away, right out of the gate. And uh, War- War- Warburg certainly responded to it in week one. This was one of those games, Keith, and there were several of them on Saturday where weather was a was a factor and not just say that you know whether during the game was a factor because that happens in a lot of places but this is one of the games that was uh was actually uh suspended uh it was suspended for i don't have the final numbers but it it was suspended when i left platteville my first game and it was still suspended when i got to lacrosse two uh, two plus hours later um i i don't even know if that's something you've ever been through as a player but uh how, what do you do in the interim and how do you uh get yourself prepared and psyched uh, up to come back out and play again. Yeah, that's really what stood out to me uh, from this game is um, the way the way they were able, you know, Warburg was able to sort of just pick up right at the end of that three-hour delay and, uh, and, and put another touchdown on the board and, and, and sort of seal the game. I, I don't know how you do that because football, remember, you know, you're pretty much you're gearing up all week for a game. And uh, the, the hours right before a game when you're sitting in the locker room or when you, you're waiting for your special teams or whatever you, whatever you do before the game, those are excruciating. They really are as a player. You just can't wait to get out there and start playing. And so to, to have that and release all that emotion and play, you know, three quarters of a game or a good portion of a game and then, and then all of a sudden have to stop uh, for good reason, of course, whenever lightning strikes, you know, you don't want a bunch of guys running around with metal helmets on their head in, in danger. And, and that's always been the rule. Um, so, so they had to delay the game, but to, to go back to that beginning of the process, sit and wait, and you, you don't know how long you're going to wait. So there's not really anything you can do to, 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 uh, you know, to keep yourself, to gear yourself up to, to point toward this time where you're going to run back out on the field, just sort of have to stay loose, stay warm and, uh, and, and hope they call you back out there in, in an hour or two hours, three hours. Uh, I was really impressed by that, that, uh, that Warburg was able to do that. Cause I, you asked me how I would do it. I, I don't have the answer. Two differing takes from uh, from Saturday night as well. Uh, the uh, Concordia Illinois Lake Forest game was suspended because of weather, uh, and they elected not to resume it on Sunday. Uh, Wittenberg Capital was also suspended because of weather, and they decided to come back. I, talk to us a little bit about getting a getting a body uh, psyched up to play on Sunday. I, I imagine there are probably uh, guys out there who who might get a snap or, or play a little bit in a varsity game on Saturday and then come back and play in a JV game on Sunday or Monday afternoon or something like that. But it's not the same as uh, taking off overnight and then coming back and playing the second half of a football game. Yeah, and you know what I really remember about playing is, is when I went from you know being a bit part player as a sophomore to, to starting every game as a junior, the, the, after a game, your body, I won't say it hurts, but you almost are like numb in your legs and you, you know, your torso can be sore because as much as you run around and practice, there's just no way really to replicate what you go through in a game. You're always you're running all the time, hitting, and by the time you shut it down on Saturday, you, you know you really sometimes just want to rest, and, and you know you can sleep for ten hours if you wanted to on a Saturday after a game. And to do that, and then to come out the next day, and, and you know usually after a game, you, you watch some film, you maybe run around, loosen up, get in the weight room and do your workout but teams don't go uh, Saturday real hard and then go hard again on Sunday you know and to be able to come back out and, and play and finish a game I, I thought was uh you know on Wittenberg's part was was pretty impressive I, I 
that's that's tough, you know, especially if you're a guy who played a lot, you know, offensive lineman, I imagine, defensive lineman, guys who get a lot of hits in. That's tough to gear your body up to play, you know, hard again a day right after you just played. And for Wittenberg, of course, that win, uh, which they finished off on Sunday, 45-28 to against Capital, was the 700th win in the, uh, in the all-time history of the program. Wittenberg started playing football in 1892. They've been very good, uh, good to great for, for many years. Uh, they were a, a, a small college powerhouse in the 60s. They won the 1973 and 1975 Division III National Championship. Uh, after a, a year or two of uh, downness of some sorts, uh, came back, went to the national quarterfinals two years ago, went to the playoffs last year. So, you know, for Wittenberg, this is a uh, first of all a nice moment in the spotlight. They're the first non-Division One football program to win 700 games. But you know, secondly, um, if you look at you know just how long ago, for example, win number 600 was, and that was uh, back in 1999. Uh, it, there were probably some years there in the interim where it seemed like 700 was a pretty pretty long ways away. Yeah, and, and to get get here, you know, just 12 years later is, is pretty impressive. And I think it's it's almost a more impressive feat or, or you have to view it in a little bit of a different prism than all the teams who've done it in, in Division One, uh, because, you know, for years now, they've been able to play 12 regular season games. And uh, Wittenberg is, you know, we're, we're limited to 10 regular season games here in Division Three. Now, Wittenberg makes the playoffs quite often and uh, and is able to tack on to that. But uh, certainly the 700 is a pretty impressive number, and uh, you, you have to tip the tip the cap or lift the helmet, whatever the football equivalent of tipping the cap would be, to uh, to Wittenberg for being the first Division Three team to hit this mark. The uh, this Saturday, uh, you know, you and I were both out on the road. Um, I saw a pair of games. Uh, you saw a game. I, I started at uh, the uh, uh, Buena Vista Wisconsin Platteville game, and I, I uh, wanted to do. At some point, a, a Platteville Dubuque doubleheader because they're basically more or less just across the Mississippi River from each other in Iowa and Wisconsin. I haven't quite been able to work that out, but uh, I got to Platteville um, and was able to knock a uh, two teams and a stadium off my list. I know that uh, we've been kind of keeping this informal list, Keith, of uh, of how many uh, how many teams we've seen and how many uh, stadiums we've been to. So. I'm now up to 132 teams and 73 stadiums after yesterday. Um, uh, Buena Vista uh, really struggled. And I don't want to go too much into the game because actually uh, we can talk about um, one of the new things we're doing and you guys can watch our, uh, our thoughts on the games immediately after that uh, in, the, uh, in the, with, uh, the D3 reports. Uh, but uh, in the second game... Uh, Wisconsin Whitewater at Lacrosse, uh, basically going to see, you know, what what Whitewater looks like in their uh, in their first game after uh, winning their second consecutive national championship. Uh, there were a couple of places where you know there was a lot of turnover. Uh, there's a almost entirely not an entirely, but a, a pretty new offensive line, and I thought that uh, that they looked pretty good there. Um, you know, the 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 defensive line. I'm not sure if I got a, a real good take on it. They certainly gave up a lot more rushing yards than. Uh, than they would have liked to. Uh, certainly last year they had had a tremendous success against the run, and uh, on on Saturday they gave up a, uh, a a good chunk of yardage to a Wisconsin lacrosse running back. But you know uh, the 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 thing about Whitewater is, uh, as it always has been uh, the last few years, is still having Lavelle Coppage back there. 
uh, even though the 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 line is blocking uh, maybe not quite as well yet as they continue to gel. But he's he's he remains a patient running back. He waits for the holes to open up. Uh, he got uh, a little bit over 100 yards rushing and then didn't even play the entire fourth quarter. Well, that was the big question, you know, from from afar. Again, was to to see how Whitewater would would function offensively with you know most of that offensive line gone. They were, you know, I think four seniors in a, in, a, in a junior last year around the time of the of the Stag Bowl. You know, during that playoff run, you know, they had to go on the road a couple times, and, and that line there were there were games, you know, in the fourth quarter where those guys won the game, and so you really wanted to see today how they functioned, and uh, it was. Um, the score, I, I don't think, blew me away. You know, I, I think we thought lacrosse you, in previous years had been a really good, tough test for for Whitewater, and, and I didn't know if that would be the case here in, in the opener. And uh, it was good good to hear your um, your insights from from being on the spot because you know around the country everybody wants to see how how Whitewater's looking and, and if, if they're beatable this year because you know that the past couple of years obviously they haven't been. Well, and the one thing that was not in Whitewater's favor on Saturday. Was uh, they uh, they ended up having to settle for four field goals. They uh, they might have struggled maybe a little bit in the red zone. And they have um, you know a, a they have clearly they have some talented receiver, but there are a bunch of new guys there. Uh, you know, Corey Robinson is back after uh, he was gone last year. But other than that, there's not really very many familiar names there. Well, Pat, too, you mentioned the you know keeping the list. I guess part of our mission as as to the ambassadors of, of D3 is to get to every stadium eventually and to tell uh, you know, our listeners and, and, and write to our readers what, it, you know, what that what game day feels like at that certain stadium. So Saturday, you know, I, I was looking at um, what was in a driving distance of me and, and pretty much have seen just about everybody here in the mid-Atlantic. So Otterbine is in D.C., against Gallaudet and I have some stuff to do for my day job. So I figured eh, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't decide that, that I, I wasn't going to go and, and really should have went get the Gallaudet game was, was a, was a, a huge surprise. We'll talk about great finishes later in the podcast, but uh, you know, you, you just look, I, I looked at that one personally on paper and thought, eh, I've, I've, you know, seen a game at Otterbein, I've seen a game at Gallaudet, um, you know, nothing there to add to the list, and uh, I didn't think it was going to be a great game, and and showed you I was wrong. So new rule: go to every game. I'll just go to every game that I can that I can get to that's in driving distance because you <laughs> never know uh, how good it's going to be. Yeah, exactly. Who needs to Who needs to worry about your day job or have a life, right? Yeah. Now, now did get to a game on on Saturday and got to see Shenandoah play Stevenson, and and you know you got to see the number one team in the country. Um, on Saturday, I went to see team that was playing its number one game in history. Stevenson, the Mustangs, uh, you know, the former Villa Julie, added football a couple seasons. Now they've had a chance to practice. So even though they're in their first year, uh, you know, they've been building up to this for a, for a long time now. And it's sort of a kind of a shame, I guess, a quirk of scheduling that their first game was on the road, but wasn't too far of a trip. I thought they would have brought a bigger crowd down to Winchester from uh, Owings Mills, Maryland area. But they maybe just haven't built up that uh, that fan base yet, or maybe everybody's just waiting uh, to go to the first home game at Stevenson, which which will be uh, in a, in a couple weeks. And uh, they have an impressive looking stadium, or at least it was impressive when when we saw it. It was still in its its building stage, but uh, the the team is is still in its building stage, to be quite honest. Uh, Rico Wallace caught five touchdown passes on Saturday from Daniel Wright, 
Um, and he's someone that that's that's going to bear watching the rest of the season now because um, I want to know he looked he looked great looked like an All American to me on Saturday but how much of that was going against a first year program and how much of it will he be able to replicate you know as he gets into the USA South schedule uh, and, and is Shenandoah actually pretty legit or uh, or was that just a function of playing Stevenson I, I was actually impressed with uh, with Stevenson's. Uh, talent level, you know, I thought they were there. I thought their effort was there, but it just, you know, from talking to to the coaches afterward, and this was sort of the impression that I had too. It, it takes a little bit of time to build that, to build confidence, and to build the, the type of leadership. In all honesty, it sounds cliche, but the type of leadership that makes a program good, that brings all that talent together. You got right now, Stevenson has a bunch of guys. They, they're not really, they, they don't really have a, a team yet. You get to a point where you have a team where everybody. Um, knows all the right things to do. You, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, continuously teach and, and, and tell everybody. You know, the, the, they were saying when you have a first year team, you got to teach them everything, not just on the field, uh, but in the locker room. And, you, you know, Stevenson's on its first road trip. So you got to teach them how to how to behave in the hotel and and what to do, what time to go to bed. You know, there's a there's a everything is new to these guys. And so uh, it's so much more than football for them right now. And at some point down the line, they have the talent where they'll be pretty good. Uh, but it's going to take a little bit of time because uh, as a first year program, it's just getting off the ground here. All right. So obviously, Stevenson not in a position to be very impressive in the, its first game as a collegiate football program. What did impress you coming out of week one, Keith? Well, you know, we, we talked about the big results that impressed us, Pat, but there were some ones buried a little bit deeper in the middle of the standings, you know, weren't top 25 games that uh, that stood out to us. And uh, I, I thought Bethany uh, beating uh, Allegheny 28-7 was, was pretty impressive. Uh, that one stood out. And then there were, you know, not only that game, just uh, not the, the final score, but the it was sound like it was total domination, 456 yards to 189. Uh, maybe the Bison are, are a team to keep their eye on, keep our eyes on this season. And then there were a couple teams who broke uh, long losing streaks on Saturday: Guilford and uh, and Cornell. Yeah, and Guilford, uh, you know, I would think they should have won that game anyway. Uh, they they probably should have beaten Greensboro last year, but not just to get the win and, and to do it in a dominating fashion uh, is uh, certainly a, a good sign for Guilford. I I think that uh, you know in, in in kickoff, for example, I think we predicted them to win three or four games this year, and I would think that uh, based on what we saw Saturday, uh, they'd be in good shape to do that. And then I, I think, yeah, I think about Bethany um, winning it, not only winning, but it's winning at Allegheny uh, in, in dominant fashion. It's a, a program, uh, Bethany, that went 500 last year, and for them, 5-5 five and five is a pretty big deal. Um, you know, they they had some decent years before against some some really uh, some really weak non-conference scheduling uh, back in the early part of last decade. Uh, but you know, this is a uh, you know a five and five last year. You know, basically playing one non-conference game. This is uh, one, or one of their two non-conference games for the season. I think this is a pretty good shape for uh, for Bethany going here into 2011. Yeah, I mean now now I got to circle them next few weeks looking ahead. You know the the other thing that stood out, Pat. You mentioned the the Super Bowl game. Uh, you know the rivalries from they they start week one, Division three, go right on through to week eleven. And uh, the other one, the the big rivalry game in week one is the uh, the annual backyard brawl, Millsaps and uh, and Mississippi College down there in uh, in Mississippi uh, in in the Jackson area. Uh, big rivalry and. 
indicative of of a lot of the games on Saturday or where we just had all kinds of overtimes and great finishes. And uh, the Choctaws on that one got a uh, got an eight yard touchdown run from a senior quarterback, Tommy Ryer, to uh, to beat their their rival 33-27. You know, and, and when you win that rivalry game in week one season is certainly off to a good start. And for those who don't know about the backyard brawl, sorry, at the risk of making this podcast uh, even longer, I'll try to make it brief. This is the the twelfth year since it's been revived. These are two schools that uh, are you know within eight miles of each other in the uh, in the Jackson, Mississippi area, uh, and for. For decades, they did not play football because the rivalry was so intense that it spilled over uh, into off-the-field conflict uh, and, and that sort of thing. So they did not play. Uh, they did not play football. They they really still don't play basketball. The the one time they played basketball that I can remember um, was because the NCAA forced them to. They matched them up in the first round NCAA tournament <laughs> game. So uh, that that's uh, so. Those are some of the things that impressed on Saturday. Uh, things that didn't impress Keith. I had a couple of teams. Who who won? Who didn't impress me? And, and um, you know, it's almost hard to remember uh, back far enough to remember when Trine played. But uh, it, I thought Trine did not look particularly good in its opener against Manchester. And then I don't, you know, I I guess I could have had the opportunity to go to St. Thomas, St. Norbert, if I wanted to. But uh, St. Thomas handled St. Norbert so handily on the road last year that I, I thought that St. Thomas playing at home uh, would probably do the same. And it was a much uh, much more competitive game this time around. Yeah, and it's kind of kind of wrong of us in a way to knock a team that won in week one, you know, to win their opener. They're they're probably going home pretty happy. But I think when you get to a level where Trine and and St. Thomas got to it in the in the past couple of playoffs here, you know, especially Trine, uh, maybe outside of of North Central had that argument for, and I guess outside of Mountain Union too, had the argument for playing uh, Whitewater last season as tough as anybody did. And then to turn around and, and to, you know, to, to struggle to beat Manchester 20, 24, 13 on that Thursday opener. You know, they had some impressive stats in the game. Manchester was was uh, 0 of 12 on third down, for example. So, you know, they, they probably had a pretty good game defensively. And you almost could expect that from trying because, you know, they lost the Gallardi Trophy winning quarterback, Eric Watt, last year. You know, maybe they're going to lean on their defense for a little bit. But but I think when you when we're looking at it from afar and, and People saying is trying going to be a consistent top twenty, top fifteen, top ten type of team. You know, you look for a bigger result than that. And same thing from St. Thomas. You know, they they beat St. Norbert twenty to seven. You could look at it one way and say, hey, they they opened up beating a team that made the playoffs last year. But at the same time, you know, you you really do expect dominant results from the top teams uh, in the country. And and uh, we didn't see that from St. Thomas. We saw it from their rivals. You know, we saw Bethel win fifty five to three against Simpson. And we saw St. St. John's win 34-0. And certainly they weren't playing teams the quality of St. Norbert. But at the same time, uh, I think I was expecting a little more from St. Thomas. The positives for St. Thomas, they did give up just the seven points. Uh, they held St. Norbert uh, scoreless on their last uh, 15 possessions of the game, forced 10 punts. But the Tommies uh, only ran for 55 uh, net yards on 30 carries. Uh, you know, Last year's running situation for St. Thomas was, was, was pretty fluid. Uh, ben Wartman... Uh, Starts the season as the man. He gets hurt. Uh, Colin Tobin basically kind of takes over near the end of the season, even though uh, even though Wartman was was there and available. Uh, you know, Wartman was a senior. Tobin's back, uh, but I, I would I would have expected better from the from the Tommy's running game. And then some teams who didn't impress in losing. I mean, I. I McMurray's 82 to three loss goes back to scheduling. This is, yeah, you know, it's it's one thing to play an FCS team. It's another thing to play an FCS team that has scholarships. 
Uh, it's yet another thing to play an FCS team that has fully funded scholarships and then one that's ranked in the top 25. Uh, they're, they're like, they're, there's four levels of separation there. And even though McMurray's going to Division Two next year, that's a big, big jump for them. It is. And, and that that's where, you know, if you're from one of these other programs uh, in Division Three across across the country asking yourself, do we belong here in Division Three? You have to ask yourself, are you ready to make that commitment if you're going to move up? You know, because not only is it going to take some extra resources to become a scholarship program, but you're going to be have to be willing to take your lumps uh, in that transition period and still be able to try to recruit and bring kids in and give them the opportunity to play and all that. Yeah, 82 to 6. Uh, nothing impressive about that. And um, for, for it, 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 was, it wasn't the only unimpressive weekend, uh, unimpressive result this weekend from a Division Three team uh, going out of division and playing somebody else. Um, but it was certainly the, the, the most alarming score on the scoreboard, uh, you know, to see that number. Uh, SUNY Maritime playoff team last season in Division Three from one of our, um, you know, lower ranked conferences um, got, got embarrassed in the playoffs lost 60 to zero uh, to, to Alfred and then opens up their, their opener uh, is a 50 to three loss. Next week, McMurray plays uh, UT San Antonio, uh, also a division one FCS program, but San Antonio playing just its second ever game. Uh, they defeated Northeastern state, however, 31 to three on Saturday in the opener. So uh, Larry Coker's uh, team is, Obviously, no pushover either, and McMurray will probably have its hands full once again. So maybe McMurray's not feeling so good about itself. Maybe SUNY Maritime's not feeling so good about itself. WPI got uh, rolled by Merrimack. Uh, not a great week one for them, but um, Frostburg State has been through an emotional roller coaster over the past couple weeks uh, and, and has not been, frankly, very good on the field in the over the past few years. But uh, for them to come out and... and Get a season a season opening win at Geneva, a Geneva program that has so much to to celebrate this year. They're finally eligible for the NCAA playoffs, even though they may not be expected to contend. Um, you know they have great fan support and a great atmosphere. And Frostburg State went in there and and beat them. You know, and the same way we talked about being impressed with uh, with some of the way teams these top twenty five teams played in the, in the second half. You know, after that they got down early. I was impressed, you know, just looking at, at at Frostburg State. Again, you mentioned having to go, you know, to to Beaver Falls or Geneva plays a night game under the lights for their opener. You know, get, getting that crowd excited, and uh, Frostburg withstood the early early charge. Uh, you know, Geneva had it tied at fourteen, and then uh, Frostburg scored pretty much the next uh, next couple touchdowns. Was able to put a little distance between them, twenty seven fourteen, and then when Geneva made it close in the fourth quarter, twenty seven twenty one. Frostburg puts together that 12th play, 66-yard drive to uh, to win the game, and you you have to believe they were playing with with some emotion uh, after what happened to to fullback uh, De- Derek Sheely this week. Yeah, and you know we've seen we've seen that sort of thing affect teams for an entire season, maybe sometimes for more than a year. Um, I look at uh, for example what Teal did last year. You know, Teal lost a freshman uh, who, who died early on in the season. Um, and and they just looked listless for about the first seven games, and then the last three weeks they kind of turned it on a little bit. They still ended up uh, finishing 0 and 10, but you could really lose an entire year like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's unprecedented. It's sort of hard to uh, you know to know how a team is going to respond or, or or how they're going to deal with that that kind of thing. You know, certainly we 
we have bad situations every year, you know, tragic type things happen when, you, you know, when you have 239 teams, there's, there's bound to be some, some unfortunate things go on at, at all places. But I don't think I've, I've ever you know, seen a team have to deal with, with uh, losing a player that, that they were, you know, something happened in practice. They were just, they were just practicing with the, with this guy, um, you know, just last week or not, not all that long ago. And then, uh, and then to have to turn around and play your opener and get focused back on on football, you know. Hopefully, I mean, I'm assuming, to be honest here, that they they channeled that emotion and uh, and, and were able to pull that victory out. And, and I imagine they had to be pretty thrilled, uh, you know, just to do that for Derek. There were a lot of great finishes on Saturday uh, in our uh, in our first week of games. We we've kind of touched or, or at least referenced a couple of them, but uh, the one that was nearly the upset of. I, you might, we might need to come up with a new time span. To be honest with you, to to think that the Gallaudet, which has been mired in the 230 range for years, this year uh, debuts at preseason number 179 and kickoff, which for them is a high water mark. That is a that is a uh, uh, heady heady company for for Gallaudet to be in the top 180, uh, and then you know to be within. Uh, a two-point conversion of beating Otterbein, beating anybody in the OAC, but beating, you know, a, a a team that's expected to finish in the top half of the OAC. I would think by just about everybody, uh, they they nearly beat them. They end up falling twenty-eight to twenty-seven in overtime, but nearly the the story of the decade. Yeah, well, well, you know, the history of Gallaudet, of course, is uh, you know, it's it's school for the deaf. Uh, they've been off and on with with the football program, went back and forth from club to varsity in Division Three, and um, in in a conference now where where it's 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 they're getting competitive in, in the ECFC, but you certainly wouldn't expect uh, an ECFC team to uh, to beat an OAC team, a top a top half OAC team. You know the other result from uh, from from the weekend, Adrian from the MIAA. You know not a, not a highly touted conference either. Goes out to uh, to Husson in Maine, win seventy seven seven. You think you're, I think maybe we're in store for for a game like that, and instead you get Gallaudet playing with all kinds of heart and having having a two point conversion with a chance to win. Yeah, I think you know we the only other game that I that I can uh, point to between an ECFC team and an OAC team was Otterbein last year. They went to Husson, went up to Maine, and won thirty eight to nothing in a in a you know a, a game that seems closer than it should have been on paper you know what i mean that uh other than uh, i guess a long drive from ohio to maine and i remember there was uh i believe remnants of a hurricane to deal with that weekend as well but uh that's uh to go from uh getting blanked uh, as a conference to uh to being in the game and having a chance to win at the end is a is a, is a pretty big step yeah i mean that, that was maybe the uh one of the the eye-opening result uh, of the weekend, or maybe it would have been if Gallaudet would have won. And uh, you start, I, I start to think about these results in week one. You know, um, do they say more about the team that won playing up, or do they they say maybe we need to worry about the team that struggled? You know, in, in the case of Otterbein, you know, if they if they're struggling, if, if they need to hold off a two point conversion to beat Gallaudet, how's it going to be when when they play Mount Union and when they play Baldwin Wallace and uh, and the rest of the teams in their conference? One of the other games, uh, it's a regional game with uh, interesting uh, result or ramifications, I guess, is Delaware Valley having lost so many of its starters from last year, especially on offense, struggling on offense down to the end, but coming up with the uh, with the win in overtime against Muhlenberg. 
Yeah, when you lose 10 starters from from a unit and you're, you're breaking in new guys, you know, Delaware Valley's been a successful program for a while now, and, and I'm sure they had good depth in the program, and they had some guys who uh, who had a lot of talent they, they, who just were waiting to get a chance to get on the field. But it, it still, to break in that many starters, to get them all comfortable with each other, you know, you go back to the old cliche, you see the most improvement in between a team between week one and week two. That means you expect week one to be a little rough. You have some of those first game jitters, a lot of these guys starters for the first time. And, and you probably got to give some credit to Muhlenberg's defense, but uh, Delaware Valley, the offense had a pretty rough day. Uh, and then to get that touchdown in overtime, I, it must have been a great lift for them. Especially uh, on a fourth down and 15 uh, from the 30-yard line. They had gone negative five yards for their entire overtime. They knew they needed to score because Muhlenberg had already scored first ahead of them. Uh, so uh, Delaware Valley uh, under the gun, and uh, Aaron Wilmer hits Isaiah Hall for the 30-yard touchdown pass, and the uh, extra point ends the game with uh, Delaware Valley winning 10-9 to in overtime. We, we talked about uh, some of these, especially uh, you know Mississippi College Millsaps went to overtime. Um, you know, Louisiana College and Bellhaven go to triple overtime uh, in a, uh, another game in the, involving the ASC. I Bridgewater St. Vincent. St. Vincent uh, has Bridgewater on the ropes, uh, has him down by two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, and Bridgewater comes back and wins that game. You know, that reminds me of a, of a, a Bridgewater story from way back in the 90s when, when an ancient fellow like me played. And I, I remember a game we were uh, we were losing to Bridgewater. I, I played, for, you know, for Randolph-Macon, who at the time, you know, was one of, one of the top two teams in, in the Old Dominion. Um and, we, and Bridgewater was was the pushover at that point in time. Um, and we, we were losing 20 to nothing. I think we scored uh, four touchdowns in the last nine minutes and 56 seconds uh, to win that game. But but the, the the thing I remember from that game is as soon as we scored the first touchdown and got it to 20 to seven, we knew we were going to win. And when you hear coaches talk about football being a game of confidence, that's an example of it. You know, Bridgewater is a team that's used to winning and and St. Vincent is a team that still hasn't really gotten over that winning hump yet. They, they, when when you hear a coach or a player talk about a winning mentality and a losing mentality, you know, this is a, a prime example of it to see a team come back and when they're when they're against the ropes and they're about to lose to a team that never beats them, you know, and then they put it together quick at the end and are able to, uh, you know, Bridgewater was able to escape with the 20 to 17 win uh, against St. Vincent. It's got to be tough for the St. Vincent kids because I know they were they were looking to get the season off uh, on a good start and finally start winning some of these games. They've been playing so many close games, you know, so, you know, their program is right on the cusp, but uh, but still not quite there yet. And, and uh, part of that difference is, is confidence. St. Vincent last year, uh, of course, you know, just a reminder to fans, this is just the fifth year that they've uh, played football since they brought it back. Uh, yeah, they were three and seven last year. They won three conference games. That is a, that's a, that's a, that was a big season for St. Vincent. I, I think that, and you know, I, I, we, we talked about, and I don't remember if that's how it actually ended up in, in kickoff, but I think there was a, a prediction floating around out there that they might win actually, actually win six games this year. Uh, they still could, um, and you know they obviously they played this first one well. They could still end up three and one. They have FDU, Florham, Teal, and Geneva uh, before they go to W and J and Thomas Moore, or have W and J and Thomas Moore back to back in October. And Pat, that's another one of those examples of of do you read the result as Bridgewater may struggle a little bit this year, or do you read it as you know St. Vincent played up and and they they may be uh, a lot of trouble for for teams uh, in the Presidents Athletic Conference this year. So you know it. it 
sometimes these these week one results because we don't know so much about these teams because so much changes in the offseason uh, with you know kids not coming back to school and, and injuries and freshmen emerging you know it, it's hard to get a read on these week one week one results but that's also the fun of it too Bridgewater at Shenandoah at Ferrum home to Newport News and then as always they start the ODAC schedule with uh, Hampton City that game is on the road on October 8th, and we already ran down Thomas Moore's, or uh, sorry, ran down St. Vincent's schedule. Uh, St. Vincent has a, a handful of uh, winnable games coming up before facing the, the two Presidents Athletic Conference powers in back-to-back weeks. Uh, Illinois College and Milliken, they're two teams that we kind of never really talk about in Division Three football uh, until, uh, I guess, on Saturday when they uh, played a pretty epic game down to the uh, down to the end before Illinois College wins in overtime. Yeah, and, and and you had the poll out front on uh, on Sunday, Pat, where you asked, "What's the best finish from the weekend?" Uh, so many uh, good finishes across the country. They you know that that it's it's hard to keep up with all of them. Uh, you know, and again, you mentioned we don't get a chance to talk to uh, to uh, about Illinois College uh, very often. Team that's sort of middle of the pack in, in the Midwest and the MWC, and then and then a t- going against a team that's uh, middle of the pack in the CCIW. And uh, so Milliken comes away uh, with the loss, uh, 34-30, first game for their new coach. Uh, Illinois College, you, know, you mentioned them being in the pack, and the, the pack in the Midwest Conference has been, it was pretty tightly packed last year. Heck, the top of the conference was pretty tightly packed. And I, I think we still kind of don't really know how the middle of the conference is going to shake out and, and how far up that middle is going to go, whether uh, one of them will uh, will threaten, say, St. Norbert or Ripon or Monmouth and challenge for the conference championship. And so we should you know, mention the way that, that game finished. Uh, game went to overtime, tied at 28, and then uh, Illinois College scores on its uh, on a five-yard touchdown pass uh, to Colin Dooling to make it 34-28. The extra point attempt, the snap is, is botched. Milliken's Cody Acri takes it back uh, for the two-point um, conversion. And then so it's 34-30 at that point. Still, uh, you know, field goal doesn't doesn't win the game. And then Milliken goes for the quick strike, and the pass is picked off by uh, by Eric Fisher to uh, to seal the win for Illinois College. What a you know that, that's a crazy way to, to end a game, uh, and 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 just one of many that we had across the country on Saturday. Yeah, defensive two point conversions are pretty rare, but then a, a defensive two point conversion in overtime. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, um, with six points. Minus two makes four. Field goal doesn't do anything for you, but a, a six-point touchdown would have won the game rather than uh, needing to get an extra point to finish it off. Uh, Heidelberg and Alma. You know, Keith, I don't know much about this game other than Heidelberg uh, winning in overtime. So it's a, a a a win for the OAC against the MIAA. Well, Pat, to be quite honest, you know, you could have spent all Saturday, all all day Sunday reading about some of these great finishes across the country. You know, we we listed off a, a few of them. You know, there there are a few more. That you know that we can we can run down the list. Uh, Chapman, you know, kicks a kicks a field goal with seven seconds left to come from behind to beat to beat uh, Whitworth 16-14. And then you have those those two eight six games on opposite sides of the country. And how often do you see that eight to six score? And, and then the way they you know each team put their eight points together, it wasn't a touchdown and, and a two point conversion in either case. Right, and it, um, a game where uh, where, where first of all you know. Lycoming keeps rowing off the board for the first 58 minutes and 57 seconds of the game uh, bef- before winning that one. Uh, Rowan really struggled on the ground. They uh, had negative yards rushing on the afternoon. Um, 
it was a, the the two point conversion for Rowan uh, a two point conversion attempt gives him a chance to tie with a minute three left and uh, basically the ball goes uh, straight through the wide receiver's hands and then uh, Rowan is unable to uh, uh, um, is unable to uh, cover the onside kick but yeah at one point uh, this game was three nothing and then it was five nothing as a uh, a bad snap led to a safety Lyco tacked on a field goal with uh, under a minute to go in the first half and it was eight nothing. And then uh, that was it for Lyco. But, you know, Keith, uh, last year this game was was pretty good between these two teams, too. Um, and it, a, a rematch that has been kind of long anticipated. This is a this was an epic game from, you know, the like the second to last game before D3Football.com existed when, uh, when Lyco beat Rowan in the national semifinals in 1998 to go to the Stag Bowl. Yeah, and, and I know I've written before over the years in around the nation that, that this was a game that needed to happen because at, at a time, you know, late in the in the 90s, these were the two Eastern powerhouses, you know, uh, Lycoming and uh, and Rowan were. And, uh, you know, it's just good to see those, those two playing again early in the season. And, uh, it, you know, it's always exciting for us who, who aren't attached to either program to, uh, to, to have it be a close game, 8-6 game. The other game, you know, you talked about the history a little bit of uh, between the Profs and the Warriors. There was history uh, last season between Willamette and Stevens Point. Stevens Point uh, last season jumped out to the 14-0 lead, and then Willamette scored 33 points to win that game 33-14. This season, they play the game out in Oregon. You know, Wisconsin-Stevens Point has to make that uh, quite a trip out there. And uh, weren't a whole lot of points to go around. There certainly wasn't any 33 unanswered uh, like there was last season. Uh, a couple of a couple of field goals uh, by Stevens Point's uh, Jared Foreman, and then a team safety sandwiched uh, or sandwiched in the middle of the two field goals. Uh, Stevens Point trying to hang on to to an eight nothing lead, and then Willamette, you know, their last gasp. They put together a thirteen play, sixty seven yard drive, score a touchdown with twenty seven seconds left, and then they can't convert to tie the game at eight and end up losing uh, eight six. Couple of great games, uh, you, you know, Keith. Um you mentioned the rareness of the uh, the rarity of the eight to six games, um, and, and yeah, I would not have thought that either of them would have involved a safety, but instead uh, both of them did. As uh, you know, we uh, usually these the the first couple weeks of podcast, Keith are the short ones, but we're coming up on fifty minutes here, and uh, so I think uh, well, I just want to uh, whittle down what we have left and and throw out some quick shout outs. But the first one I want to start with uh, starts with a highlight clip, and it's. From WABY and Frank Rossi. Mark Moore from the hold of Bradley Skeffington. Snap, spot, kick is up. It may be long enough. It's gone! And with time expiring, Mark Moore from 49 yards out has won the game for Salve Regina. 25-22. So, Keith, that's Salve Regina freshman kicker coming up with a 49-yard field goal on the last play of the game to beat Union. And, uh, you know, Keith, uh, I know that you uh, you shouted out to uh, Salve Regina in the uh, triple take this past week as being the uh, as being the team you thought you'd have your eye on or people would have their eye on at the end of the week. What did you see about Salve that uh, prompts you to make that pick? Well, it goes back to, to who they hired at the beginning of last season. With, uh, with Bob Chesney coming from Johns Hopkins, where he was the defensive coordinator. The last team he had there was that team that, uh, that held Wesley to 12 points in, in, a, in a national uh, quarterfinal playoff game. So, you know, if you have a defensive coordinator who can work with, uh, you know, guys you're getting to go to John Hop- Johns Hopkins are not the same level of talent that, that, that you're bringing to Wesley. 
Um, so, you know, if you have a coach with, with that kind of skill uh, and then to turn around last year, I think they were the only team Salve was uh, in the top 15 defensively nationally to make the playoffs, something like that. That was one of those stats that I would have put in a, in the year in review if I had been able to write it uh, this off season. But um, so I knew they're going to be good defensively, but wanted to see if they were going to going to put together a little bit of offense this year. And they, they fell behind 14, three in that game and and looking like maybe the offense was going to struggle. And uh, they, they scored in the fourth quarter. They, they uh, rallied in that game and, and scored uh, all, but uh, all, but three of their 25 points. They scored in the fourth quarter. The last, the last kick, of course, that 49 yard field goal by Mark Moore. The strange thing about that too, was that, the that the three points that that Salve scored earlier in the game uh, was on a field goal by Brendan DC. So the guy they brought out to kick the forty nine yard game winning field goal, the freshman, wasn't even their uh, their their kicker at the start of the game. You could go with the long kicker at the uh, at the end of the game when you've got you know basically first of all, of course, you got the game tied. So uh, barring the unlikely event of a uh, of the field goal getting blocked and returned all the way for the touchdown, you're you're guaranteed to go on and play in overtime if you miss the kick. And I know there are a lot of coaches who. Uh, you, you you maybe you see it and it's more noticed in the NFL, but you know there are still a lot of situations in college where you have one guy who handles you know regular place kicks so to speak, and then if you real if you need a really long one, you got somebody else, and maybe that's also your kickoff guy or your punter or something like that. Uh, one of the other uh, games from Saturday, uh, Keith also in the uh, involving an NEFC team, Endicott uh, beating Framingham State. Uh, you know, Framingham had a great uh, had a great season last year. We thought they might slip back a little bit because the the uh, the transfer quarterback who had the uh, great year for them last year was a senior. But still, this is a a, a pretty big win that kind of sets up the rest of the conference schedule. Yeah, and remember, this is the the only conference in Division Three with sixteen teams, the two eight team divisions, and then they play uh, sort of cross opponents uh, from the other division at, at earlier in the season. And so Endicott, this is you know one. One team from uh, from one division playing one team from the from the other division expected to be at the top of both sides. Thought it would be a, a tighter game instead. Thirty three thirteen does set up pretty well for the uh, for the goals to maybe be the class of uh, of of the NFC again uh, this season. And then Wisconsin Oshkosh, which uh, had uh, Central on the ropes a little bit last year, finishes off the Dutch this time. Uh, they uh, again jumped out to a big lead and then had. Uh, uh, Took advantage of uh, five central turnovers to hold on and win that game, thirty-one twenty-eight. Yeah, and if I if I recall, you know, from following the score and watching that game a little bit on on Saturday, I don't think it was even at thirty-one twenty-eight as close as that. The score makes it sound pretty impressive performance for Oshkosh. Looking ahead at uh, what is coming up next week, uh, some of the big games: University of Wisconsin Whitewater goes to Franklin. Oshkosh heads to Mount Union. That game was competitive for a little bit while uh, a little while last year at Oshkosh. Uh, we mentioned North Central hosting Bethel of Tennessee. Wisconsin Lacrosse is going to Mary Harden Baylor. Uh, Cal Lutheran and Linfield. Salve Regina at Montclair State. This game wouldn't have been on the list uh, if not for that game that uh, Salve played on Saturday. Harden Simmons. They played a team at home from uh, Iowa on Saturday, and they go out to Oregon to play Willamette next week. Wabash at Worcester is a uh, at Worcester is one of the big games featuring. Uh, the three NCAC expected contenders. Uh, St. John's hosts Wisconsin-Eau Claire. W&J hosts Delaware Valley and Huntington at Birmingham Southern. And Keith, I, w- I want to wrap up the podcast by talking about something we mentioned earlier and that you will see on the site, uh, I guess later today, if you're listening to this on Monday, um, is the uh, the concept of the D3 report. And what we wanted to do was get 
first of all, give fans a voice and an opportunity to contribute and, and get their face out there, but also just to kind of get more uh, more of a feel of what it's like uh, on, a, on a game day on, uh, on, uh, on some of the other uh, campuses here, 239 of them in Division III to, uh, to get to, and you and I can only be at two or three or maybe four at the most in any given weekend. So um, you, what we're going to do is uh, Keith and I each recorded kind of a brief example, what we want from fans. And you can do this with your cell phone. It doesn't have to be a, a video camera or a flip cam or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Um, but just give us, you know, two to two and a half minutes. Um, give us a look at what football's like on your campus. You know, we're not asking you, and we're telling you not to go down to the sidelines. We're telling you not to talk to players or coaches. But give us a little bit of the atmosphere and, and uh, show us what Division Three football is like in some of the places that we don't get to go see on a regular basis. Yeah, definitely. We'd like to hear, you know, in your own words and, and, you know, you can polish it up a little bit, but it doesn't it doesn't have to be a perfect news report. We do. Uh, Pat, you hit it on the head. We, we we've been doing this 12 years and we've been to 70 percent of the, the, the schools possible, you know, 65 percent. I mean, we're still working on trying to finish off the whole list just between the two of us and our, uh, our around the region columnists. So there's places where 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 you know things are changing or, or the tailgate is great and, and all that stuff that we that we don't know about we'd love for you to, to to broadcast you know give us give everybody else across the country from uh you know from mountain union to Harden simmons to linfield you know to cover that big swath of country uh to just show us what what division three football is like where you are and you know there's 239 of us now with, with the two new schools we brought on board on saturday and uh we just would you know i wouldn't mind taking two minutes out of my day to uh, to get a taste of football at any of those canvases. So what we ask you guys to do, keep it clean, keep it tight, and then at the end say, this is my D3 report, and I hope to see it on d3football.com. And you could uh, email it to us. You could post it and tell us where to find it. Um, we're going to use YouTube, so please don't post it on something else because uh, that we want to aggregate them in one spot, obviously. Uh, and, and we, you know, we'll, we'll throw them out there and people will uh, get a chance to get a look at things. And we're also going to do some more stuff with video this year. Um, a lot of schools are putting together highlight packages, so we will uh, be stringing those together into a playlist for uh, for people to watch. We will continue to do the uh, video play of the week, and uh, nominations for that are due by the end of the day uh, coming up on Monday. And then, of course, uh, all the other things that we do on a, uh, on a regular basis here at d3football.com. I, I think everything is back. I don't think we cut anything. Um, we still do statistical spotlight on Monday, which reminds me I need to get that done. Um, we <laughs> seriously, uh, we still have around the region columns. We have seven columnists with uh, three new ones for you guys to meet this year. Uh, Keith will write his around the nation column for later in the week. Uh, you've already seen triple take if you've been following the blog, we, where we do our kind of roundtable punditry discussion and predictions of the game, and then of course uh, game days on Saturday. So he's Keith McMillan. I'm Pat Coleman, and this is the first Around the Nation podcast for the 2011 season. Stick around. There's plenty of Division Three football yet to come.